Studio wants to bridge the gap between style and function with their fashionable take on high-tech headphones, like with their model, The Regent. They don't think that you should have to compromise fashion for quality, and that's why they provide products matching the standard of top-rated headphones with modern Scandinavian designs, all for a fraction of the cost and free worldwide shipping. Plus, our listeners will receive 15% off any purchase with code HALLOWEEN. So show your support for this podcast and get 15% off your studio headphone purchase by visiting sudio.com and using code HALLOWEEN. I'm Norma. And I'm Amanda. And we're the ladies of How I Met My Murder, an Alabama true crime podcast. We cover everything from cults to serial killers to just plain weird crime. All with giggles and a few rabbit holes along the way. Find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. Also, follow us on Twitter at how underscore murder or Instagram at how I met my murder and stay up to date on what's coming. Bye! Bye. Hey guys, welcome to Texas 1031. We're your hosts Cassie and Hannah, and we discuss crimes and mainly murder that occur in Texas. If you guys want to interact with us, go to our website. It's Texas1031podcast.com. You'll find all of our social media and where you can listen to the podcast. So every episode, we're going to bring you two murder cases. Um, tonight we have one in El Paso, and Hannah, where's the other one? Um, it's... <laughs> Emory. It's in Emory. Emory. That's, I like that name. Yeah. Okay, cool. Emory and El Paso. It is a band. Uh, don't forget to rate us and leave us a review while you are there. We hope you guys enjoy this episode and thank you so much for listening. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really special recording, guys, because we're in Hannah's new house. Yeah. And let me tell you, it's fucking amazing. Thank it's you so beautiful. Much. Thank beautiful. you. Um, yeah, we're in the new house. Sorry if there's an echo, but it's, it's, it doesn't matter. I guess we can go ahead and get right into it. Do you have recommendations this week or anything you want to talk about since we've last communed? Um, the Cowtown Crime blog mm-hmm. review of us, I really, I enjoyed. I did so. too. I thought it, <clears throat> wow. <laughs> I thought it was nice. I yeah. think that she was kind yeah yeah <laughs> that's uh, whatever <laughs> she wasn't like they suck and i like that she didn't hate on us too much for our profanity yes that was the big like yeah. i don't know we we try you want to hit a bunch of demographics mm-hmm. and you want to please a lot of people and some people are offended by profanity or the multitude of offensive things i say so it's it's nice that she was able to be very objective yeah. about it <laughs> I, she used the word like salty or something like that salty yes language. that made me so happy yeah me too <laughs> Um, for millennials, salty language means fuck. Un- unfavorable. Yeah. <laughs> it means fuck. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Um, let's see. Yeah. Do you have any recommendations? Yes, I do. Oh, do you, good. Do you have any? Um, I don't know. I was, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna. So it's a weird, it's a different style of recommendation. Mm-hmm. Um, the brewery I work for. Rar and Sons Brewing. We just released a beer called Paleta de Mango. Mm, I want to try it. I am so excited to bring yeah, you some because I too. literally. So, 
we're we're distributed across the entire state of Texas, except for Galveston at the moment, but that's probably coming soon. That's weird. But I know it's ah, I want Galveston so bad. But um, we're in like Corpus, you know, places like that, and then we're in uh, six other states. You can go to our website and find out. Blah blah blah. I'm not getting paid to say this. I just want to say it's the best <laughs> well, beer I've of, ever but... had. Technically, yeah. Technically, <laughs> I am getting paid. I'm still wearing my raw stuff. Yeah. So, but every time I want to recommend that beer because if if there you, you like. Nice beer you'll love it if you don't like beer it's got enough mango flavor mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's so good it's a mango chili lime kolsch it's five percent abv it literally tastes like a <laughs> melted mango popsicle and there's a little pekin chili heat on the back end almost yeah. as an afterthought so it's not spicy that it's just good. really good but in houston we're expecting it mid-april so oh, but so everywhere else in the state you know dallas of course fort worth definitely just scoop that up orange can boom hannah's rex go <laughs> oh my Rex, yeah um okay number one my recommendation the podcast did i already talk about this i might have i don't out. think so i always say things and then i edit them out and so now i never know yeah cold case files the podcast the tv show was a big hit 10 plus seasons it was amazing on any or whatever they have a podcast it's incredible. Yay. Uh, Bill Curtis, the original host, he will host some of the episodes. Like if she, if he doesn't do it, a girl named Brooke, uh, she does it. And it's amazing. Um, they're all just, they're perfect. They're wonderful. So go listen to Cold Case Files, the podcast. So new segment, recognitions. My voice cracked. That's <laughs> how <laughs> so we have to say it for recognitions. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're going to do some recognitions of um, followers, listeners, whatever you want to call it. Let me get my phone. Okay, so number one recognition. This comes from Facebook from a lady named Amy Derrick. Quote, I love the podcast. Just found it today and have listened to several episodes. Thank you, Amy. Second one we want to uh, say hello to or thank you to is Stacy Nicole, I guess. I don't know if that's supposed to be funny like n-e-e instead of n-i but regardless if that's your last name then good for you but anyway i don't want to pronounce it wrong she says totally digging your podcast exclamation point keep up the good work thank you stacy that made me really happy yeah rolando and shakur yes so i'm friends with someone named rolando He's one of those friends that's just like from a distance. Your acquaintances, when you see each other, it's great. He's Don't an awesome person. Close. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away. <laughs> um, but his fiance is also super sweet. Her name is Gabby, and she just started listening to the podcast and stuff. And they've both been like telling people about it and sharing mm-hmm. it and stuff. And that's so sweet. Um, and they shared it to one of their friends, Shakur. Um, and he, you know, complimented us. He was like, love the research I'll do. And you can tell y'all aren't really just fucking around, which thank you so much. <laughs> um, and he talked about some of the other podcasts he listens to um, to get him through the boring job he has. But he also requested that we cover a case. Um, that case is Dean Coral. And mind him, he just started listening. So he hasn't heard us say in a couple episodes. Yeah. We just don't want to shake her. Mm-hmm. If you're listening, we do not want to cover Dean Quarrel because, um, as you mentioned last podcast on the left, like they did such a good job and we don't feel like there's anything we can add to a case like that. There, I was thinking about it after you sent us this message earlier today, like I'm talking directly to him right now. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. so creepy. I'm looking at his picture. Um, him and his child. Upside <laughs> yeah, down. A little cutie pie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's 
that might be a, it might be a cool thing for us to cover Wayne Henley mm-hmm. and his other accomplice just because I feel like people graze over them a little bit so that you know but for now we say no to Dean Coral. um oh I wanted to also mention we got a podcast review on iTunes yeah why'd you put away? your phone away I don't know because I'm an idiot um yeah so if you guys leave us any review of any kind we'll read it for you guys just to give you a little shout out or whatever so on monday amy uh ntx whatever um she said i just started listening tonight because i signed up for the meet and greet in dallas i had no idea it was a podcast but i love it i already listened to several episodes so thank you amy thank you um which the meetup that she's talking about is the texas podcalypse it's saturday april 21st in dallas i don't remember the name of the bar off the top of my head but whatevs go on facebook you can find it um I will most likely be going. Cassie's still a little bit up in the air at the moment with her job. So if you guys want to come meet me slash her, um, do it. Did we already talk about me? Maybe like if I am not able to go, I can like FaceTime with you the entire time. No, we didn't talk about that, but that's fine. We could do that. That way so you didn't feel alone. That that way I can not talk to anyone but you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm first. Yes. Yes. All right, so this week I have another dead kid. Yeah. Um, so I got the majority of this info from an article from the National Registry of Exonerations. Oh, pretty legitimate. Interesting. Yeah, and a forensic files episode. Yeah. All right, you ready? I am ready. No, you're not. You're on. You're I'm looking at my victim. Oh, looking at her pictures. I know. <laughs> I don't know why I decided to do that. I just wanted to make sure I could find them. Um, all right. 1988. Debbie Tucker Loveless uh, moves she and her two daughters, Amy and April, to the small town of Emory, Texas, kind of outside Dallas near Tyler. Um, Debbie marries, then moves she and her family in with her new husband, who is John Harvey Miller. Uh, he's a construction worker. And according to both, they had a wonderful home life. They lived um, on, like, this massive five-acre farm out in, like, the town is less than a 1,000 people. So, like, it's small as fuck. Yeah. Okay, so January 4th, 1989. uh, So the eldest daughter, Amy, she goes off to school. Her younger sister, April, goes outside to play. April is about four years old at this point. Okay. So Debbie called for April around noon to come inside for lunch, and she got no response. Debbie would soon after see John, her husband, uh, running towards the house carrying little April in his arms. Debbie said she could even see in the distance how beat up and black and blue she was. So John evidently was, uh, along with being a construction worker, he was a trained paramedic. Um, He knew he couldn't do much for April in her condition and immediately decided that she needed to go to the hospital. Paramedics were called to the home. They find four-year-old April wrapped in a sheet on the kitchen floor. Debbie and John will tell the paramedics that the child had been attacked by a group of dogs on their property. April would be rushed to the hospital, but would unfortunately die during surgery in an attempt to repair her femoral artery, which had been severed. Doctors later described the gash... Uh, as a gaping hole on the inside of her right thigh that measured about four inches by six inches. Um, a large chunk of the thigh muscles, the femoral artery, blood vessels, skin, etc., was just gone 
And I mean, that's very true when you see this photo. It's disgusting. Wow. Um, in a preoperative report, it was noted, quote, puncture wounds, ragged bite marks, abrasions, contusions, and lacerations and bruises were on her body. Immediately following April's funeral, uh, they see that law enforcement is beginning a uh, murder investigation on them. So police would supposedly find some clothing and some small amounts of blood near the family barn on a fence um, and some blood on some leaves, but really not much else. Uh, The police made it known that the parents are in direct suspicion of the little girl's death. There was even an inference. This was so silly. um, An inference of them killing their daughter due to occult paraphernalia. Oh, my God. Yeah, they found it in the home. Like on the Forensic Files episode, it was just silly. It was just like crosses and like books. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, And the the parents induced a bloodletting ceremony on April. They poked her with thumbtacks and beat her relentlessly. Uh, During her investigation, or excuse me, during the investigation, they um, both are given lie detector tests. Debbie passes. John does not. Hmm. Right. Uh, When an autopsy was conducted, it concluded that her injuries were caused by a sharp knife and a curling iron. Not. Yeah. Not wild dogs like the couple had stated. Uh, During the home search, the police would place into evidence a curling iron of Debbie's found in a clothes hamper and a hunting knife that John had received as a Christmas present just several days prior. So this is the story, according to John and Debbie, that they uh, would both stick to the entire investigation. He says he was salvaging wood from an old house down the road, and she said she was cleaning their house uh, during the whole incident. They stated that April often played outside by herself since she loved the outdoors and roaming all the acreage that they had. Uh, April stood about three feet, five inches, weighed about 45 pounds. Um, She often played with the family's two dogs, as well as a third dog that belonged to a neighbor. Uh, John claims when he found April, she was laying underneath an oak tree, nude, and he, as he gathered her in his arms, she told him the dogs did it. Uh, regardless of their story, Debbie and John would be arrested for felony injury to a child on January 17th, 1989. The charge would soon be raised to murder. On Halloween 1989, the, uh, their trial began. The prosecution would argue that John had beat and cut the child to death with his hunting knife and Debbie's curling iron. Testimony in a trial from the medical examiner claimed that the edges of the wound were, uh, were clearly cut as if by a knife and did not resemble the jagged edges that would be, that would be expected by an animal attack. Mm-hmm. So, Jurors saw photos of a lifeless girl whose body was a grotesque specimen of cuts, scratches, punctures, and bruises. Um, the dog attack theory was never brought to court. Oh, interesting. Ever. Not by the parents, not by anyone. Nobody. Defense, prosecution, nobody. Nobody knew anything about it. Uh, It was never mentioned at all outside of the courtroom. According to Raines County Sheriff Richard Wilson, he doubted um, the dog attack story almost from the start. Um, Debbie and John said that although they told the sheriff about the dogs, he made no uh, attempt to catch them. Um, and that he doubted the dogs were even capable of attacking anyone. Quote, every time we would go out there, they would be wagging their tails. Two of them were pretty young pups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, little babies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
Their attorneys only brought two witnesses to the courtroom uh, in the couple's defense, John's ex-wife and a state crime lab analyst who said they found no blood on the knife presented as the murder weapon. Um, I couldn't really find anything on why the ex-wife was really even brought in to testify. Character witness? That's what I'm assuming. That's what I wrote next. Jeez. (laughs) How he maybe acted with other children. I think they later referenced that he has has a son, so I'm assuming that they brought him in to see how he acted with children or something like that. Okay. Um, So this attorney would get a pretty bad reputation in the aftermath aftermath of the trial because it really looks like he didn't do much to help uh, the two parents with their defense. Um, it will be documented, however, that he asked for an extension to research more information and to interview more witnesses, um, but that request was denied. Okay. So, perfect. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Why um, make for a fair trial? Right. Yeah. Basically, this guy was just not even given a chance to get his defense together pretty much at all, and this will come back into play later. Okay. Um, the pathologist who conducted the autopsy, uh, his name was V... V, like two initials, uh, Gonzalez. Uh, He later testified that he believed the curling iron was the weapon used to make the scratches. Yet, in court, he acknowledged he never measured the width of the curling iron's teeth to see if they corresponded with the scratches. Okay. Right. Like, don't... I'm just not going to do my job all the way. Yeah. That would be basic... Okay. It's not like anyone died, you know? No. Nah, it's not serious. No. Um, one of the defense attorneys even later admitted that he took the prosecutor and sheriff at their word when they said the dogs were too small to have killed April. Um, among the witnesses subpoenaed by the defense, but never was actually called to testify, was a lady named Ann Oliver. She was a child protective services specialist with the Texas Department of protective and regulatory services. She said she agreed to feed the dogs after John and Debbie were arrested. Um, the day after the, the arrest, she went to the house with Sheriff Wilson, the guy who doubted this whole dog story the whole time. Um, quote, without apparent provocation, Buddy, dot, 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 attacked Amy, April's sister. After he was called off, he attacked her again. Anne said she told the sheriff that the dog should be pinned and the impression should be made of their teeth and claws, but he did nothing. Oh, that's really shitty small town police work. Right? I, yeah. Wow. Definitely say that as well. Um, despite everything, both Debbie and John were convicted and sentenced to life in prison. Oh, wow. On November 5th, 1989. To reiterate... Their dog attack story and evidence was never presented in court or even allowed to be investigated properly. Okay, just want to remind everybody. Wow. In 1992, however, appellate lawyers for the couple obtained 38, repeat, 38 emergency room and autopsy photos that hadn't been turned over to the, to the defense prior to the trial. Okay. Did the defense attorney just never ask or no, no, no. not they, have time? No, they, he, they remember, were withheld. This is the guy that was like, I need more time to get my shit together. Yeah. And during, that was denied entirely. And even still, that stuff, these 38 photos weren't turned over him, wow. to him regardless. So, prosecutorial misconduct. Yeah. In one photo, a paw print is clearly visible on April's back. You're kidding. No. Scratch marks would conclude it matched perfectly with the nails consistent with a dog's foot. Afterwards, multiple medical experts concluded that April was a victim of a dog attack. Oh, my God. Like, her leg is, like, shredded. It's ripped open. It's oh, crazy. Oh, that's horrifying. 
Uh, early 1992, attorneys showed the photos and medical reports to Charles Odom, a forensic pathologist and medical examiner at Southwestern Institute of Forensic Science in Dallas. Uh, as Odom later stated in an affidavit, quote, her injuries were the result of an animal attack. Odom said that most of the scratches consisted of, quote, four nearly parallel converging or diverging lines. Domestic canines have four claws on their four feet, and these marks are typical of scratches that they leave on the skin when they attack. The clean-cut wound on her thigh that everyone was just so, oh, it couldn't be a dog attack because it was perfect, blah, 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 was actually caused by a scalpel during her surgery. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Doctors had cut away the ragged skin during her surgery, and moreover, DNA tests on April's clothing revealed the presence of canine saliva. Wait, they never, they didn't DNA test her clothing? I guess not. Oh my God. I I guess they did, but maybe, obviously not. Um, Maybe it just wasn't turned over, but no one pursued the dog theory because it wasn't brought up. It just was never a thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you want to like malign this jury that found these people, but they were never given any because the defense didn't have any way to even prove a dog theory because he wasn't given any time. Wow, that's really shitty small town work, right? He was basically, he, I think the forensic files said something like he even admitted that the couple killed the kid because he he didn't have anything to go off of. Oh my God. Oh, this poor family. I know. Right. Um, Medical experts would declare that the paw-shaped bruising and nail marks wouldn't have been apparent while she was alive and would only be evident after her death when the blood, sorry, when the, uh, her blood would pool in the certain areas. Um... So after all this new evidence came forward, along with the initial appeal of lack of sufficient counsel, in which their previous lawyer from the first trial would later testify on their behalf, like in their second trial, he would be like, yeah, I did a shit I job. fucked up. Yeah. Wow. Well, he, good for him. I know, right? He, um, uh, it reminded the judge and the jury that he wasn't privy to the 38 photos. He was denied ample time to get his case together, so on and so forth. Um, 1993, Debbie and John were granted a new trial. So December 1993, the two were released from prison after the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed the trial court decision to vacate the conviction. In May 1994, the charges were finally dismissed and they filed a civil lawsuit against the county prosecutors and county sheriff Good in 1995. Them. Yeah. The lawsuit was settled out of court in 2001 for an undisclosed amount. Um, unfortunately, this all took a big toll on their relationship. So Debbie and John would divorce after their exonerations due to the kind of the strain of the trials and prison, all that stuff. Three years without seeing each other, really. It said something about like five. Five. Because like once they get arrested and then time they spent in jail before trial and after Shit, you know, all they that have stuff. a kid like within double digit range now. <laughs> yeah. Lost all that childhood. Well, and it said that um, Amy, the eldest sister, she was put into foster care that whole time. Baby, so no family. Oh, God. I guess maybe not in that area. Yeah. Because it wasn't her like biological dad. So I don't know. Jeez. Um. Yeah, pretty much tragedy in itself. So it wasn't a super lengthy um, case. Obviously, I kind of breezed through that pretty quickly because it wasn't like murder, murder. But I just, I thought it was terrible just to show kind of the injustice of the justice system. system? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I do have some questions and theories. Uh Um, So question one, why was she nude? Yes. Uh, Their answer in the Forensic Files episode 
uh, was because of the Texas heat. Now. Okay, she was running around wearing underwear. Right. She's a toddler. It was January. Oh. It's pretty cold. Like, January is literally the only month in Texas you get. Especially, that's up north. You get... Mm I I wrote that that's weird. I looked up the weather in Texas on like the whatever U.S. Almanac or have whatever kind of area you want to put in there for that year that week in Texas, and all the articles that kept popping up kept showing that the U.S. actually had a very uh, massive cool front that came through, mm. swept the country. Uh, in Houston during that time, it was sixty-one degrees. Uh, and the high in Emory was 55. Oh, no. She'd have a little jacket on, like long pants. I don't know. Interesting. I would have believed him more if they said, if it was placed in like June or July or yeah. even like March. I don't know. But yeah. it, it, it was in January, right after Christmas. You're letting your kid run around in her underwear? I don't think so. Mm-mm. So the pictures, like I keep saying, um, of her, like unfortunately dead on the hospital table, she does have underwear on, but she... You know, she's four years old. I'm not going to be like, oh, my God, put a shirt on your kid. But, you know, it's about that age where it's like, all right, you're not in a diaper. Mm-hmm. Maybe put on some clothes. Yeah. And it's cold outside. And it's cold. I could be wrong, but I doubt I am. Yeah. That is, that that's weird. weird. It was considered a homicide. I don't know if we keep, we both keep kind of nodding our head to the fact that this is small town lack of training. And I don't mm-hmm. know if not doing a rape kit or immediately jumping to homicide is part of that right. lack of training. And you, you don't know what to do with a homicide. Mm-hmm. You're just going to... Never seen it. Or you find a dead kid and you think this could be a homicide, so let's go down that route. Like, yeah. I don't know if it could have been something else. I don't know. Um, my second question was, had the dogs attacked before? Right. According to the family, no. But was it even their dogs? How do they even know it was theirs? Mm -hmm. They said that she had played with a neighbor dog. Uh, Was it coyotes? Was it a fucking wolf? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It could have been not anything, but it could have been something else. Um, You know, she was supposedly allowed to be outside constantly whenever, you know, they lived there for how many plus years. And this never happened before. There Mm -hmm. There wasn't any inference of an attack ever right you know but yet when that Ann oliver lady comes back with the eldest sister amy the dogs attack her the kid so it's like when did these dogs decide to get all aggressive mm-hmm. and when and was that withheld like was it happening and that was withheld or it was just people not really recognizing the sign of aggression in dogs you know i mean she supposedly uh submitted her deposition with that in it so i mean she she works for the government. She works for the state. She's yeah. not just going to put these kids in harm's way. So, right. of course, if you see these dogs being aggressive, she's going to note it because the whole case is about dog aggression, whether right. or not it happened. So, I mean, I feel like she was being truthful. Oh, I'm talking about the parents. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I think it's, why would you also put your kids in mm-hmm. harm's way? Because I wrote to that point, like, dogs are still wild animals and kids Mm -hmm. don't really little kids don't understand that grabbing them by the face or doing getting in their getting in their faces like they don't understand Mm -hmm. the different stressors that dogs will have and you you know you can only push an animal so much so if a small child is left alone with three dogs all day that's not too far out of the realm of possibility for one of them to kind of snap at her so it's just it's interesting to me I, i guess it's small town life like you just 
Your kids yeah, are I mean, outside. Like, kids being outside, right. that's fucking fine. But yeah. with wild animals, like, dogs are domesticated wild animals. Well, and it's, it's, like, I don't know. Some dogs can get aggressive when they see another dog getting aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that sounds kind of stupid. They, no, they rile that. each other up. Right. So if maybe the neighbor's dog, mm-hmm. who wasn't around her constantly, got pissy with her, and then the other dogs are coming to her defense, but then they all get in a fight, and she's caught in the crosshairs, I don't know. Yeah. But for a dog to violently go at her inner thigh and to scratch her and bite her i mean the pictures are absolutely horrific Mm. like i mean she is covered from head to toe with marks it's horrible and so it's just like you could be a wild dog but like you're somewhat domesticated Mm -hmm. if your neighbors have a dog you have two dogs they know what people are they know what it's about they know that they bring you food they know the gist of the day yeah i don't really I don't know. Fuck, how far away was this little kid where her parents didn't hear her? The way they kind of, in the episode, it it, it was far off. Yeah, so a lot, like of, a lot of land. It was down to the, you know, I don't know. It was far off. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, it said five acres, so I don't know if she played, like, on the edge or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I get, it leads me to John mm-hmm. or the stepdad. Right. He was... He didn't pass the lie detector test, which I get oh, that's aren't true. admissible yeah. in court. Yeah. I don't know how I would pass the lie detector test if I picked up my kid-ish, my stepkid, my half-kid, whatever, my own child's body. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a horrible panicking moment. But, you know, he was supposedly a paramedic. Mm-hmm. He should have maybe known what to do, not just wrap her in a fucking sheet. Right. Um, he was a construction worker. Did he have tools to tear up her leg? Did he have tools to beat up her body? Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I get maybe beating your kid or cutting her up. We've heard of worse. Yeah. But to dissect her thigh yeah. is a bit much. Um, but what about the, the scratch marks and the bite marks consistent with the dog and the paw print? Right. And I think that that is definitely a testament to their innocence. Um, but I could see where it could go both ways. Yeah. I don't know. You, you It's the, a weird one for sure. Yeah. Because the paw print from the photos is very evident. Um, but I get why the law enforcement went a certain direction because like the, um, medical expert said, you know, you, you couldn't tell the bruising until after she was dead for a while. I guess I just, eh. I'm going to have to see those pictures. Yeah. Um, I also wrote as one of my last questions, what was Debbie's role um, Mm -hmm. in all of this? You know, John was mainly to blame during this whole trial. It's never really brought forward. Interesting. Right. So she just went down with him. Basically. For the supposed. I couldn't really find anything. Mm. um, You know, their defense attorney gave no defense. Right. It was all the (laughs) prosecution went after John, not Mm -hmm. Debbie. So I think that that's fucked up. Even if he did do it, it's fucked up that she went down for it as well. Yes. So especially as a mother losing a child, right. having another child, that yeah, would go to foster care. I mean, we've talked about mothers that do that's true terrible things. Yeah, but the fathers aren't implicated, right? So I thought that was strange. Um, let me place some more doubt in your mind. The medical examiner who worked on her case that I think it was the VB Gonzalez guy. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. Uh, he had an extensive background of experience, including being the assistant medical examiner for the city of Dallas. Oh. So you'd think he wouldn't have made the seemingly novice error of not measuring the fucking curling iron. Right. Or seeing that the postmortem bruising in the shape of a fucking paw. But whatever. 
Yeah, that is that strange. Because what I wrote about that, I was I wrote something to the effect of like small town. Yeah, give small me town people should be. We mostly covered them, but small town law enforcement first responders i don't know how this could ever happen or if it's even feasible but they should have big city experience whether that be like training of some kind yeah training or sitting in on an entire like murder investigation and trial just like you can't have something this terrible happen in your town and not know how to handle it because Mm -hmm. you've never seen something like that before so all you're going off of is your own personal bias your own personal experience Mm -hmm. on like from tv or whatever it's just i don't know i feel like this whole case was bungled for oh, weird yeah. reasons but Definitely it's also strange the that the medical examiner came from a big city right. and it's like well that shouldn't be a place where bungling happened right they should have the experience they should have the know-how of getting all those big city homicide cases and knowing this looks like this this looks like that this yeah. isn't this this isn't that like but, as a medical examiner you have at least once in your life seen a dog attack like but you, it has to happen. Maybe, yeah. But you at least know what postmortem bruising looks like and what oh, it doesn't yeah. when they're still alive. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Um, hmm. Anyways, um, the prosecutors to this day still believe that the couple's guilty. Wow. Um, I think an article I read was from like 2014, 2015, something mm. like that. It's like 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, they claim that they, they, as the prosecutors, never received any notice about a dog attack from the defense or the police, which makes sense because one, the defense didn't know about it, and two, the police were withholding that information. Yeah, they bungled it. Yeah. I feel like Debbie and John's story is more plausible than the homicide theory. Yeah. But um, there's still some loose lingering. Ends. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, a bit about April. She was born in 1984 in Kentucky. She is said to have been incredibly adventurous and active. She loved the outdoors, especially climbing trees. John, her stepfather person, is quoted saying that he didn't think she even knew how to walk because he only saw her running and playing. Oh. I know. She would have been 34 this coming September. All right. Poor April. Go on to you. That's our second April that we've done. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I should have saved that for our April episode. That's okay. No, it's okay because we're doing something else for our April episode. Mm. Episode. All right. You're up. Okay, so this week, um, like we said, my case takes place in El Paso, Texas. Um, this is the murder of, whoopsie, <laughs> this is the murder of Sofia Martinez. And we begin. So Sofia Martinez was a vibrant, kind, and loving 18-year-old girl. A uh, woman, 18-year woman. What year is this? Um... We get to that. 2000. Okay, <laughs> no, no, sorry. no. I said we get to that as my <laughs> eyes drop down a paragraph. Okay. So this is the year 2000. Okay. Um, she loved her family. She wanted to be a teacher and attend um, UT El Paso after her high school graduation, which was coming up in just a couple of months. She worked really hard. Um, I'm not sure what she did for a living, you know, at 18, but she saved up enough money excuse me, to buy herself a new car. Um, So she had a really nice red. I think it was convertible. She was so proud of it. Um, Her family was really proud of her. Um, She was ready to start her life, graduate from high school, and, you know, move on as a woman, fall in love, you know, start relationships. Um, Unfortunately, though, she never got the chance. So on the night of March 10th, 
uh, in the year 2000, which was a Friday, at around 10 p.m., Sophia left her family home in El Paso to meet a blind date. Um, she was all dolled up. Her mother and sisters had helped her pick out a dress, do her hair, do her makeup. Um, she was in a really pretty red dress, and her family said that she looked absolutely beautiful that night. She was. She was really beautiful, all the pictures of her. Um, she planned to meet her friend who had set up the blind date um, and the date at an El Paso nightclub, but she never arrived. El Paso is a nightclub? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so at 1020 that night, um, she stopped at an ATM. The, I believe it was, I didn't write it down because I don't care. It was the military, government employee, government employee federal credit union. So that was, it's not important, but I just decided to throw it in for whatever. Okay, so she stopped at this ATM to withdraw some money, um, and security cameras record a man with a handgun approach her car and fire a shot into the vehicle while she is withdrawing the cash. Um, This man has a black hoodie on and a black beanie on. Um, This man forced her to withdraw $200 after getting into the... I saw conflicting reports. One says passenger, one says backseat of the vehicle, but after getting into the vehicle and forced her to drive away. The next day, Saturday morning, her abandoned vehicle was found in a desert by New Mexico Police Department, which is not too far away from that part of El Paso they were in. So the car had numerous bloodstains inside and the window was shattered. On Sunday, the next day, Sophia's lifeless body was found by El Paso Police Department um, off a dirt road in an isolated location near a well. She had been shot five times in the face and raped. She had by then been reported missing by her family. Um, so they knew pretty much immediately. They, her mother thought that she got home late. Um, and then left early in the morning for work. So that's why she didn't see her after she left for the date. And when they found out she didn't make it to work, they immediately reported her missing. They knew this was not like her. Mm-hmm. So her family was very worried. Um, fast forward a few months to September of the same year, 2000. A person named Heather Jack- Jacquez. It's J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. So Jax Jacquez. 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 We'll just say Jacquez because that's fun. <laughs> um, Heather Jacquez. That's True. not what we said. Heather um, J. Heather J. <laughs> she sees Sophia's picture on an episode of America's Most Wanted. This case had gotten a lot. It had gone unsolved until September. It had gotten a lot of publicity. Mm. A lot of, you know, people were... It's a big deal for El Paso. Like, yeah. no offense, but beautiful eighteen-year-old yeah. girl is found murdered. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really big deal. Um, Heather had recalled seeing Sophia's picture on a driver's license that had ended up in her home, um, brought to the home by her husband's friend. Mm. She at this point called the police and turned her husband, her now ex-husband, and his friend in, um, gave them the information, said, hey, I saw this girl's license. This guy had it in his possession at my house. And she collected the $51,000 reward for information. Police contacted her now ex-husband, Michael Jacques, (laughs) who was serving time um, for an unrelated crime. I read that it was... Yeah, I was going to say, what kind of crime? Yeah, I, I read on his online arrest thingy mm-hmm. that it was um 
shady business. Online arrest. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. (laughs) I didn't cite that source either. Um, But it was shady business practices. And then I read in another one that he was on um, domestic violence charges. So I'm not sure which one is Probably domestic violence. Probably domestic violence. Yeah. Good for Um, her. Oh, yeah. Great guy. No, I meant good for her for getting out of that. Oh, good for her. Fucking good for her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So Jacques gave two written statements to the police. Um, This is where I will go through the information given by him in these statements. So Jacques, what's his first name? I'm going to call him by his first name because I'm so sick of saying. Yeah, Michael. So Michael had been visiting his then-wife, Heather, in the hospital. She was in the hospital for, like, gallstones or something. It wasn't domestic abuse. Well, it it seemed like an internal thing, because that was my thought, too. I was like, oh, you put her in the hospital? But it didn't seem like that. Um, Yeah, maybe. (laughs) So he and his co-defendant, friend William Berkeley, went to the Jacques home to gather personal belongings for Heather. Um, they returned to the hospital around 6.30 or so that evening. And then the friend Berkeley left the hospital and returned around 7 p.m. So Jacques, Michael, told Berkeley that at some point during this hospital visit that he needed money to pay for court fees that he had. He needed about $200. Mm-hmm. Perfect time. Berkeley said that he would take care of it, suggesting a holdup at an ATM. Um, at this point... He took some surgical gloves from the hospital and went back to his father's house, Berkeley did, got a 22 caliber revolver, revolver, beanie, and a hoodie, and Jacques and Berkeley drove around, kind of formulating their plan and looking for a good spot. They wanted something ill-lit, not busy. Um, They waited until they saw a newer model car, Sophia's red convertible. Mm. And um, Berkeley, who had been hiding in some bushes, approached the car. Jacques was in the vehicle waiting, and he was basically the getaway driver. Mm-hmm. Um, so Michael Jacques could not see. <laughs> I hate this. This is set in Paris, you guys. Yes. Just so you know. Paris, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> um, Just he, as good as El Paso. <laughs> yeah, basically. I've been there. It's fine. <laughs> he couldn't see what had happened. But when Berkeley didn't return to the getaway car, basically, he realized that he had left in the red car. Mm. Um, So Jacques returned to the hospital and told his then wife that Berkeley had just robbed someone at an ATM. Um, This is around 1045-ish. So the moment that Michael and he got to the ATM, probably closer to 10 or so, Mm -hmm. it was a really quick thing as far as he's concerned um, from what we think. So the next thing that happens is Berkeley drove Sophia's red car to the hospital at 2 to 2.30 a.m. From this part, I'm going to read pretty much directly from one of the sources because there was so much information to write, but it's all pretty important. Um, So a nurse tells Michael that a friend was waiting downstairs. Um, He goes downstairs in the hospital to meet Berkeley. Sophia's car was in the parking lot and the right front passenger side window was shattered. Berkeley told Jacques... Jacques that he had tried to open the passenger door but it was locked he tried to break the window with the butt of the gun but it wouldn't break so he fired a shot but the window only shattered when he went around to the driver's side he saw that the driver had been shot in the face he basically grazed her face with the bullet um berkeley told her to open the automatic locks and he got in the back seat 
As Sophia tried to drive off, Berkeley put the gun to her head and told her to withdraw $200. He then instructed her to drive to a secluded desert area that Jacques and Berkeley had previously called the spot. When they arrived, Berkeley told her to get out of the car. He shot her in the face twice and she fell to the ground. Berkeley then emptied the gun into her while she was lying on the ground. Berkeley had come back to the hospital because he needed Michael's help in getting rid of the car. Michael told his then wife that he had to leave again. Berkeley drove Sophia's car while Michael followed in Berkeley's car. They drove out to the junction of Chaparral and O'Hara Road and turned westbound on O'Hara. Berkeley passed through a cattle fence and ended up on a dirt, dirt mound. It was very dark and difficult to see, so much so that Michael passed by Berkeley without seeing him. He turned around and kept driving, finally coming upon Berkeley walking uh, along the road, and Michael then picked him up. So a few days after this, um, Heather had been released from the hospital, Mm -hmm. and Berkeley shows up at Michael and her's apartment. Um, He had Sophia's driver's license on him, which they then burned in the barbecue pit because they were having a barbecue that day. Um, And they also threw her car keys on the roof of the apartment complex. So probably three stories or so up. Just throws them on the fucking roof. Burn them too. What what are you... Seasoned criminals. (laughs) So many seasons. So um, the gun that... Oh, I I mentioned this. So the gun that was used was located at Berkeley's father's house Mm -hmm. where he had been living. So who the fuck is William Joseph Berkeley? He sounds like a politician's son. He kind of does. <laughs> um, he was a German immigrant, um, so of German descent. And I also wrote, who fucking cares? Um, but he was born on January 16th, 1979, uh, making him 21 at the time of the murder. Wow. He had no prior record, but was noted as a thief by friends and family. Um, basically, from what I read of him, Everyone accounted that he was a piece of shit and had mm-hmm. violent tendencies. Um, and he was a known marijuana smoker and cocaine user. So, well, cocaine, there you go. Yeah, cocaine. <laughs> so, police, after reading Michael's written statement to them when they questioned him in prison, he rolled immediately. Um, they obtained a warrant to search Berkeley's parents' home and found evidence enough to indict him um they found the beanie that was identical to the beanie the suspect was wearing in the surveillance camera um they found the gun and they even found the gloves that he had been wearing that dingus yeah um so he's indicted on december 19th of 2000 um michael jacquez was not charged when berkeley was indicted he gave a written confession so immediately rolled on himself yeah yeah Um, I wanted to breeze through the sentencing and stuff because it was it was shown pretty conclusively that he was the person in the surveillance camera. Um, I don't know if his DNA was really anywhere. She was sexually assaulted. Um, no, no, no. I do know his DNA was somewhere. I'm sorry. I'm flashing back to an article I read. Um, his semen was found in Michael her or body. William? Uh, William. Okay. William Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. So it was him. Yeah. It was uh, most, def- most definitely him. So he was tried and sentenced um, for capital murder um, in the death of Sofia Martinez and sentenced to death in April of 2002. 
Um, he had a bunch of different re- appeals. So when we talk about people exhausting their appeals, this guy fucking did it. I'm not going to read. He did writ of habeas corpus. Um, he tried to do a double jeopardy. He tried to do I had insufficient counsel. He basically Everything threw the book the at book, him. Yeah. yeah. So his different appeals um, were struck down on these dates. December of 2005, March of 2006, um, August of 2007, February of 2009, October of 2009, and April of 2010, which was the day that he was put to death by lethal injection, April 22nd of 2010. He did not address Sophia's family. Um, Her mother and two sisters were there. Oh, another tidbit. Um, He sucks. He does suck. (laughs) Police believe... (sighs) Sophia carried a picture of her younger brother in her wallet or her purse. Um, He was probably four or five at the time of her murder. They believe that she begged for him before the final shot, you know, the the kill shot was given, um, that she begged him to let her see the photo because it was found in her bra. So they think that that was the last thing she thought of was her family. So his final meal was two BLT cheeseburgers, two jalapeno cheeseburgers, fried okra, french fries with ketchup and mustard, brownies, chocolate and vanilla ice cream, and three root beers. So um, so BLTs, as we said, yeah. he did not address um, Sophia's family or the victim at all in his last words. Um, his last words were, Samantha, I love you with all my heart and soul. Corey, thanks for everything. Uh, make sure my princess is all right. Death before dishonor. <laughs> Corey, I think you should continue with criminal law. It's your decision. They need lawyers out there that will fight. Death before dishonor. Warden, let her rip. Thank you for coming, Irene. He did not acknowledge his crime or the victim's witnesses. So, big surprise. Massive piece of shit. Um, really questions and theories is short for this one because it's pretty point blank what happened. I just put $200 fucking really. I put that worth $200 question mark. Her no. life was worth $200. To like, him, evidently. The, obviously, it was, it these was weren't, past that. It was beyond yeah. that. It was psychologically. It was all this pent up aggression, deep, yeah. rage, and violent tendencies. Sure. I didn't. I don't give a shit about his childhood, <laughs> honestly. But the fact that he could be so cavalier about a human life. Something had to happen to him. Well, I mean, to for people to say he was a thief or he was aggressive or uh, cocaine, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But for that to, okay, I'm going to help you get some money, man. Let's get $200, yada, yada. But to then shoot the person five Mm -hmm. times and And then rape rape them, Mm -hmm. you've got a problem. Yeah, for sure. And I don't think his friend, while I wrote, the next thing I was like, how did Michael not get charged with anything accessory to a crime, grand larceny? But it, he, he really only gave him a ride and knew the intent, intent was to rob. And because of giving, you know, the confession, they probably were like, thanks, Plea dude. Deal. Go on your way. We'll yeah, handle it. Yeah, you're already serving time for something. It's not great. Right. But I'm sure that they probably were like, we could probably get him on domestic violence in mm-hmm. the future. Yeah. <laughs> or it, whatever, you know. It really makes me wonder, did he know that his friend was either capable of that or maybe planning something like that? Did he, did, I mean, Berkeley was already outside of the vehicle. So when Berkeley saw, if he could see Sophia and see that she was a beautiful young woman, mm-hmm. I mean, did he just see the fancy car and think that was my target? Or did he see the fancy car and then the beautiful young lady inside and decide, oh this is not going to be just a robbery like i i feel I mean, like it was later at night so i doubt that he saw anybody that's true that's true 
And then I also put, how could she have been safer? I don't know. I don't think she could have been. She was doing what we all do. There, we know there are security cameras at ATMs. They're usually pretty well lit, even if the surrounding areas aren't super well lit. Like, really, I mean, the her only, door was locked. Yeah, her door was locked, and the fucking the car didn't shatter when he mm-hmm. hit it with the butt of her gut. Like, the only thing I can think of, like you, you have to know something like this happens really quickly mm-hmm, for sure the only thing you can think of is she could have driven away well she kind of tried to right yeah she either tried to or her fight or flight fucking thing kicked in and she just like she just shut down she can she's fucking 18 well, she's a she, baby she's like oh my god i just got fucking shot in the face kind that's of true because that was pretty someone's quick trying to break in my car and i don't yeah even- 30 seconds could sound like 30 minutes. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's true. And it's like, I really don't think, because I read on Facebook um, a couple of comments on like, you know, this case was posted as on a Facebook page or whatever. Um, Comments were like, I told my daughter about this. I, you know, always be safe, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but really what, what you could tell your daughters is, don't go anywhere at night. Don't go to the... She was right. she was in her She's own vehicle. Bank. She was yeah. at a bank. Yeah. It's, it's just... It's very sad and scary. least likely place that you'd think that you would get... I don't know. Yeah. Like, if this <laughs> this could have been... If they... If the goal for him was to just get money for his friend, who might have been a drug dealer, I don't know, but who could have... They could have just robbed her. Absolutely. They could have had, and he could have had something Michael over his thinking. face. Yeah. I don't think Michael, Michael was a wife beater, but I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know. Actually, then that makes me think that he was capable of more with women. I know. Because friends like, with someone like that, then the other friend is probably like that. Mm-hmm. You're, you are who you're friends with. Oof. Like, if you don't go into a situation like that with your fucking face covered, then you have to kill your victim. Mm-hmm. So that's just that's a good point. shoddy criminal work. And I think it's, I think he wanted to murder. You know, I think that was the next step, the next escalation in his violent tendencies. It's 2000. Like, you should know DNA is a thing. Yeah. And surveillance cameras are a thing. Right. And it's fucking 10 o'clock. Like, Ballistics 10 o'clock is are late, a thing. but it's it, only it's... late enough for the sun to be down. Like, people are everywhere still at 10 o'clock. Like, especially at a, I'm sorry, government employee federal credit union. You know, fucking morons. I, I really do want to reiterate to applaud Heather because she mm-hmm. could have had the internal instinct of like, oh, no, I can't say anything because yep. he'll come back and beat me or I'm going to get in trouble or I'm going to get murdered just like her mm-hmm. and your thoughts just spiral. So thank you, Heather, for thank you, fucking Heather. saying something. Yep. I because mean, they would have figured it out eventually, but yeah. it could be 10 plus years from now when exactly. what he committed another offense and he was mm-hmm. put into a system or whatever. So thank yeah. God. Yeah, that's women true. Women helping other women. Yep, because she could have, and I'm glad she got a big reward. Like, absolutely. If this hadn't come to fruition, like if pay for those medical bills, girl. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, it's just fucking poor Sophia. I don't know how old she would be now. She was 18 in 2000, so oh fuck, she would be like 36. She would have gotten to do everything she wanted to do. She would have gone to. She would have been a teacher. She probably would have been protesting this past weekend. Like she. She had her whole life ahead of her. And this fucking asshole decided that he had the right to steal it. And that's just insane. You would think that, like, say you're a novice at committing crimes, Mm -hmm. like this William Berkeley guy. You try and bang the window open or open the door. One, it doesn't open. Bash the window open. It doesn't work. You shoot the girl. It grazes her face. You're like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. 
you could have left at that point. Yep. And she could have survived and been like, hell yeah, no guns in schools or no mm-hmm. guns in general. She could have been a survivor who told a great story and lived to go on that blind date in mm-hmm. a few months from now. But instead, he didn't care. No. He wanted to go further and yeah. commit more aggression and more violence and carry mm-hmm. it even to the ends and beyond. Yep. I'm not sad that this guy was put to death. Nope. By any means. No. I mean, I wish that we could have learned something from his psyche and why he chose the things that he did, but fuck that guy. Poor girl. That's so sad. So that is the story of the murder of Sofia Martinez. Fuck you, Joseph Berkeley. (laughs) He loves to end the episodes on the Or William Berkeley. William Joseph Berkeley. Sorry. The German guy. Um... (laughs) Do we have anything else? Nope. I don't think so. So, guys, thank you all so much for listening. So much. We both really hope you enjoyed this episode. And once again, please, please, please do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And please be sure to check out our social media for photos on these cases. Links to our sources will be put in the show notes. We'll be back in next week. Next week. Next week. (laughs) With more Texas true crime. And if anyone's listening, happy Happy Halloween. Halloween.